We're continuing on in our series in the book of Hebrews this morning. So if you would, turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Our series is entitled, Jesus is Better, and we've been seeing all the numerous ways that Jesus is better and is shown to us as being better throughout the course of the book of Hebrews. Now, Duane left off uh, in the middle of chapter 6, and as you can tell, uh, if we can do math here, there's a couple chapters between 6 and 9, and so I want to catch you up a little bit on what our author has been doing in the book. In chapter 7, the author talks about Christ's priesthood and how it follows the line of this mysterious priest king from the Old Testament, Melchizedek. And he's showing us that Christ's priesthood is a better priesthood because it doesn't follow in the line of Aaron. This is what he's seeking to show us in chapter 7. And in chapter 8, he talks about the new covenant that Christ is securing and has secured for his people And as we come to chapter 9, he begins to show us how Christ, fulfilling his priesthood, goes about securing this new covenant for us. And what we're going to focus on here is one of the blessings of this new covenant uh, in Christ in chapter 9. And as you can see by the title, it has to do with cleansing our guilty consciences. So if you would, if you're not there yet, open up to Hebrews 9. I'll be reading verses 6 through 14. That's where we'll be spending our time this morning. So follow along with me. Our author begins here in verse 6. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year. And not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened, as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works, to serve the living God. Father, we are in need of a cleansed conscience this morning. Teach us where we must go to find it. I ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
When I was uh, about in junior high, about that age range, my mom had the most awesome job that any child or junior high age, whatever, even a high schooler could ever want their parent to have. Uh, she had a vending route. And uh, this is where you go and you fill like candy machines and pop machines and snack machines. And so we had this awesome white Astro van. And inside of the section where, where people would be sitting, we had like five coolers that were full of candy bars and chocolates and all these things. And then on the back seat, uh, there was two rows of chips and salty snacks and things that we would carry around. And then you go around to the back of the van and you open it up and there's just rows and rows of pop, right? Just amazing. Like, any junior higher would want this. And so I, once a week, got to go with my mom out traveling to all of these places, filling these snack machines, and of course, you know, I got to eat some of it myself, right? But what good mom wouldn't let their kid just pick out on snacks? Um, and as you know, these, these snack machines typically take coins. Now, nowadays, it's, you know, credit cards and stuff like that. But when we did it, you had to put, like, coins in the machine to get something out. And typically, it was a lot of quarters, and what we would do is we would stuff those little sleeves until there was $10 worth of quarters in there. And we would take this giant bag of quarters to the bank and we would deposit it. Well, I foolishly uh, thought it was a good idea behind my mom's back for a time to just kind of take some of those $10 sleeves of quarters from myself and just go and buy stuff with it. Um, and after a while, my conscience began to convict me of what I was doing. My conscience began to show me that I was guilty of sin. And so what I sought to do to alleviate this guilt that I felt for what I was doing is I would do nice things for my mom. Whenever guilt would sit in for what I was doing, I would, I would try to repay her by doing good things. I would try to be more obedient. I would try to be a more kind child. I, I would try to, uh, even into adulthood actually, when I got my own job, I started getting my own money. I thought, you know, I probably took $100 from her. Maybe I'll just pay that back. But it never took away the guilt that I felt. The only thing that alleviated that guilt was when I finally went to my mom and asked for her forgiveness. When I confessed my sin to her and asked her to forgive me. You see, I had these rituals, these good things that I was trying to do in order to appease my guilty conscience, but it didn't work. And I think that Christians have a common experience, that we experience this same thing that I did as a child and often do as an adult. You see, we often feel the burden of the guilt on our conscience for our sin, and rather than seeking forgiveness in Christ, we practice our rituals in order to cleanse our conscience from the guilt that we feel. And I think that that's what this passage is talking about. And so as we open it up, what I want us to see from the text is the failure of our rituals to cleanse our guilty consciences and that we must pursue Christ as the only way to be free. And now our author begins here by showing us how purification or cleansing was made in the Old 
Testament. He begins in verses 6 and 7 to show us the role of the priest in purification. This is what he says. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Now the first thing our author tells us is where the priests did their work. He says, these preparations having thus been made, and he's referencing verses 1 through 5, which tell us where the priests did their work. It speaks about the temple or the tabernacle and all of the furnishings that were in each room. These preparations, this is what it is being spoken about. The priests did their work in the temple. But the author continues on to show us what work the priests did in the temple. It says the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. Now the ritual duties spoken of here are the offerings and sacrifices that were given for the people of God. You see in the Old Testament when an Israelite wanted to come and to worship God, they had to go through a ceremonial cleansing process. There were five offerings that were made in this process in the Levitical system, three of which were made because of sin in the worshiper. The burnt offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering were all offered on behalf of the worshiper to cleanse them from their sin. But our author also speaks about a once a year offering that took place by the high priest. He says that once a year the high priest would go into the most holy place with the blood of a sacrifice to make atonement for the sins of all the people. So what we see here and what would often happen is that sacrifices would be regularly taking place. But then there was this one day once a year that we see in Leviticus 16, the day of atonement, where the sins of all the people would be atoned for by the high priest. Now what I find interesting about the sacrificial system is that Hebrews 10.4 says that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. So that leads me to ask the question, what then is the purpose of these sacrifices? What purpose did they serve? Hebrews 10.3 tells us. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Now, this is speaking specifically about the Day of Atonement, that one sacrifice that was made, but in reality, they would have been reminded of their sins much more frequently than once a year. The point here is, the Old Testament law was meant to reveal our sinfulness to us, and the sacrificial system was meant to continually remind us of our sinfulness. Do we understand the depths to which we are guilty of sin? Do we think about that very often? Jesus condensed the law into two commands. Love God and love your neighbor. 
He said, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands, love God and love your neighbor. Now, let's just think for a moment about all of the spheres in which we can sin against God and other people. We can sin against God and other people with our actions, the things that we do. We can sin against God and other people with our tongues, the things that we say. We can sin against God and other people with our thoughts, the things that we think. And we can sin against God and other people with our desires. So God in his law tells us not to do, say, think, and desire what is evil. And when we do, say, think, and desire what is evil, we break God's law by committing sin. But this is only half of the law of God. God also tells us to do, say, think, and desire what is good. And when we fail to do, say, think, and desire what is good, we break God's law by neglecting what is right. Uh, Theologians call this sins of commission and sins of omission. We can break God's law by doing what he tells us not to do, and we can sin by neglecting to do what he commands us to do. Consider this in an illustration of a homeless man. If you were to walk by a homeless man on the street, you can sin against him. You can commit a sin of commission by walking up to him and kicking him and mocking him. Okay, that would be a sin of commission. This is something God tells us not to do. But you can also sin against this man in a sin of omission by walking past this man and not acknowledging his existence. As an image bearer of God. So when we take all of these spheres in which we can sin against God and other people, sins of commission, sins of omission, and to add on top of all of this, the text tells us that the Day of Atonement, the offering was made for the unintentional sins of the people. So there are even sins that you commit that you don't realize you commit. You see, our sinfulness is something we don't like to think about and we don't like to be reminded of. But yet it is something we cannot escape because our conscience will not let us forget our guilt. Our author here has reminded us of our sins and the guilt that we feel through putting before us these sacrifices and these rituals that were done in the Old Testament. And our author now shows us the insufficiency of the Old Testament sacrifices to cleanse our guilty conscience. We see this in the second half of verse 9 and verse 10. According to this arrangement, the Old Testament offering and sacrificial system, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. 
Now, here our author reveals that all of the rituals that God commanded in the Old Testament sacrificial system, the washings, the grain and drink offerings, the animal sacrifices, were only able to cleanse the body of the worshiper. They could not, as the text says, perfect the conscience of the worshiper. These rituals don't deal with the main problem that we have. They weren't able to cleanse our conscience from the guilt of sin. Why is our author bringing this up at this point? Why is he addressing the inability of these rituals to cleanse the conscience of his hearers? We must not forget the situation that the audience was in. His audience was being tempted to leave Christ and return to this system. They were tempted to go back to these rituals. And what the author is showing them is that by doing so, they are asking these rituals to do something they were never intended to do. That is, cleanse the conscience from the guilt of sin. Now, at this point, you may be thinking, that's great. This is an awesome history lesson. But what in the world does that have to do with us, right? We're not tempted to go back to a sacrificial system, at least I don't think we are. Well, if you're tracking with me, you should notice that we are in a very similar situation to the original audience. We have guilty consciences because of our sin, just like they did. And we are tempted to, and often do, seek to cleanse our consciences through rituals, just like they were tempted to do. In a conservative, religious, Christian sphere that we live in, our rituals are normally things like reading the Bible, praying, going to church, serving at a ministry in a church or a ministry outside of the church, doing good religious things. These are our rituals. What rituals are you practicing hoping that they will cleanse your conscience from the guilt of your sin? Some of you decided to come to church this morning in hopes of removing the guilt on your conscience from what you looked at on your phone last night. Some of you came this morning hoping that your ritual would cleanse your conscience. Some of you got up this morning and read your Bible in hopes of cleansing your conscience from what you did with your boyfriend or girlfriend on Friday night. Doing the good thing that you thought would cleanse your conscience. Some of you put money in the offering plate just minutes ago hoping to alleviate the guilt you feel for mistreating your spouse or your children. Can I ask you a question? After performing your ritual, do you still feel guilty? I know the answer to that question. You do. You are just as guilty now as you were before you performed your ritual. These rituals cannot cleanse our conscience. This is what our author is telling us. 
These rituals cannot cleanse our conscience because they were not designed to do so. And you are asking these rituals to do something that they cannot do. Now this leaves a weighty question hanging over us. If these rituals, if these good things that we do cannot cleanse us from the guilt of our sin, where must we go to be cleansed? This is what our author now turns to answer for us. He shows us that true cleansing, true purification can only come through Jesus and His blood. And we see first that Jesus secures for us an eternal redemption in verses 11 and 12. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. Now, in showing us how Jesus is better than the Old Testament priests, our author first identifies the place where Jesus did his work. The author says that he entered through the greater and more perfect tent. Now, our author elaborates on what this means in verse 24 of chapter 9. He says, for Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, that is not into the temple, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Jesus did not enter an earthly temple like the Old Testament priest did, but he enters heaven itself to offer a sacrifice for our sins. The place where Jesus does his work is greater. But our author also tells us the work that Jesus did while he was there in verse 12. Jesus took with him into heaven not an animal sacrifice, but a human sacrifice. Jesus entered heaven by means of his own blood. You see, our author is showing us that Jesus made a better sacrifice than the Old Testament priests could ever make. They offered animals. Christ offers himself. Our author is arguing here that because of the place where Jesus offered his sacrifice and because of the greater sacrifice he offered, that they accomplished something greater for the people, namely an eternal redemption. But our author doesn't end with telling us that we have this eternal redemption secured by the blood of Christ. He goes on to tell us that we actually get to experience this eternal redemption now. And this is what we see in verse 13 and 14, that Christ is able to cleanse our conscience from the guilt of sin. Our author says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience 
from dead works to serve the living God. Now here our author puts side by side the Old Testament sacrifices and the sacrifice of Christ to elevate the greatness and the glory of what Christ has done and what he has accomplished. First in verse 13, we see what the Old Testament sacrifices accomplished. They sanctify for the purification of the flesh. We saw this in verse 10. They deal only with the food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body. The Old Testament sacrifices, these rituals, were only able to ceremonially, ceremonially cleanse the body and were unable to perfect and cleanse the conscience of the worshiper. Now what the Old Testament sacrifices could not do, the text tells us that Christ was qualified to do. In order for Jesus to be a sacrifice for mankind, he had to be two things. He had to be man and he had to be perfect. And the text tells us that he was both of these things. As it tells us that he shed his blood, thus signifying that he was indeed a man and that he offered himself to God without blemish. He was a perfect sacrifice. And since Jesus was a qualified sacrifice, he is able to do something the Old Testament sacrifices could not do. He is able to purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. He provides something better for us. That's why he is better. Now we are told here that our consciences are purified from dead works. What does that mean? What is this reference to dead works talking about? I think that Charles Spurgeon got it right when he said this. We must not bring our dead faith or our dead works as an offering unto God. Our prayers without emotion, our praises without gratitude, our testimonies without sincerity, our gifts without love. All these will be dead and consequently unacceptable to God. You see, these dead works are works that are done in order to cleanse our conscience from the guilt of sin rather than done in love for God and love for others. It's these rituals that we participate in seeking to cleanse our conscience and not out of a motivation of love for God and love for others. When we fail to understand and believe the gospel, when we fail to understand what this text says, that Christ has secured for us an eternal redemption, we fall into doing good things out of a sense of needing to be at peace with God. And when we do this, these good things become rituals that deny the gospel. Rituals that deny the work of Christ because what they say is, the work of Christ is not sufficient to cleanse my guilty conscience. I must do this, 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 and this to alleviate the guilt. 
And when we do that, we confess with our mouths and with our lives that Christ is insufficient. And all of those rituals, those good things that we do, become dead rituals that are abhorrent in the eyes of God. They mean nothing to him. You see, our author is admonishing us to trust that the work of Christ was sufficient to cleanse our consciences. And as we trust that it was and that it is, we will become free to serve the living God. We are free from working to earn God's favor when we understand that Christ accomplished what we need. We are free from working to satisfy God's wrath and his displeasure with us. We are free from working to remove the stain of guilt that our burdened consciences bear. We are free to serve the living God in gratitude rather than from guilt. Some of you this morning bear the weight of a guilty conscience that has never been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And what you have done throughout your life is you have done things that you believe to be good and pleasing in the eyes of God so as to remove this guilt that you feel, but yet it remains on you this morning. And if that's you, if you have never been cleansed by the blood of Christ through trusting in his perfect sacrifice... He is calling you this morning to give up your dead works and receive a clean conscience through faith in Him. There are others of you here, and I presume the majority of you here, bear the weight of a guilty conscience for unconfessed and unrepentant sin that you seek to cleanse yourself by carrying out your rituals. And if that's you this morning, Jesus is calling you to stop seeking in these rituals what only he can do. And the beautiful thing about this is that when you come to Christ and seek his forgiveness, rather than seeking to cleanse your conscience through rituals, it actually frees you to continue practicing those rituals, but then they actually mean something to God. You see, the rituals aren't the issue. It's the way we use them. Jesus is calling every single one of us this morning to come under the cleansing power of his blood. Whether you are an unbeliever and you need to be saved, or whether you are a Christian dealing with a guilty conscience that needs cleansed, We want to give you guys this morning a few moments to take time to do work with God. Keith's going to lead a song for us this morning, and I don't even want you to sing along. It's not a song that I want you to sing to. It's a song that I want you to think about what is said, and I want you to ask God what rituals you've been practicing in order to cleanse your own conscience I want you to repent of those things. And I want you to come to Christ for forgiveness and cleansing. 
The altar is always open. If you feel the need to come forward, you may do so. If not, I would plead with you to do work with God right where you are. scripture for us this morning let's not be people who listen and acknowledge the truth yet do nothing about it